Hello and welcome to the Swine Disease Reporting System. This is the podcast number 46 for the month of December. My name is Edison Magalhães here at Ohio State University. Hello, my name is Giovanni Trevisan here at Ohio State University. Hello, Daniel Linhares, also at Ohio State. And today we're going to cover uh, the findings from the month of November for the, from the four VDLs that uh, are included at the, at the SDRS. But also, we, we have the pleasure to have today as our special guest, Dr. Pete Schneider. So, Dr. Schneider is a field veterinarian at uh, Innovative Agriculture Solutions, and he practices in several states and has an, uh, an extensive background in swine health and production, including, for example, health management strategies, uh, disease eradication, diagnostics, and biosecurity program. Welcome, Dr. Schneider. It's a pleasure for us to, to have you here. Yes, thank you for, for having me. It's always fun to talk with uh, with you, Edison, as well as Giovanni and Daniel. You guys are extremely smart, so I always come away from these conversations feeling like I learned something. So uh, thanks for the opportunity to be here today. Oh, thank you. So, Dr. Schneider, usually uh, in these uh, records, in, in the podcast, we do a first question, an overall question for the, for the guests. So this overall question for you, what, in your opinion, what is the, the value of, of programs like the, the SDRS for the swine industry? How, how does it, may, it help you to make decisions on a daily basis? Well, I think we're all very busy, right? So it's pretty easy to, to get wrapped up into the challenges that we have going on. And, and those may not be, you know, indicative of what are going on around us in the industry. So I think it allows us to pull our focus back to, you know, what, what is happening out there, reorients us a little bit so, so we can walk into a barn and not always feel naive to the situation we come into with the deviation from what we were expecting. So, again, it, it, it gives us a heads up on, on what's happening out there. And, and again, it's always a, it's nice to see those trends and um, things we should be expecting down the road if we're not seeing them already. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Thank you. So let's get started. So as we usually do, uh, we're going to start uh, covering the PCR detection for PERS, and then we go for enteric coronavirus, and lastly to mycoplasma. And the last page of the report is disease diagnostic, uh, specifically from, from Iowa State University. So here on the first page, in which covers the PCR detection for PERS, uh, Giovanni, what were the findings from the, the month of November in terms of PCR detection of PERS? Well, we are having a, a busy month. The detection of PERS virus is in a moderate increase, and that's going on in winter March, age category since September. And now we start to see an increase in adult self-harm. So we have been seeing this year over year that uh, increase in detection of PERS virus in winter March has been preceding the detection is adult self-harm, and that's happening again this year. One of the things that we are keeping close look is the pers virus lineage 1C variant strains, and the majority of the detections that occur during November by sequencing was from Iowa and Minnesota. So uh, this month we did went through and asked for the advisory group if the U.S. one industry has been moving the needle towards implementing biosecurity, biocontainment practices to reduce the spread of agents across farm. And the answer was unanimous that the U.S. farm industry has been moving the needle, especially after the, the entering of PED. Lots of things have been done, mm -hmm. but still have a lot of opportunities to work towards these improvements. And some of those things is simple things like implementing bench, uh, change clothes between uh, 
site-specific use of clothes, shower in, shower out facilities, especially in the finishing in growth sites that we need to do. There is a need for improve the way we wash our trucks, especially movements to uh, marketing, and try to uh, implement better way to separate people from going to different farms in different days, focus on growing finishing biosecure. That was one of the major ones that was coming out. And one point that was brought to our attention is that the U.S. industry has been moving the needle in this way. But to move for the next level, in many regions there is a need to implement a lot of investments, and that's not quite uh, easy to do at this moment. Mm-hmm. Dr. Schneider, as Giovanni mentioned, so we've seen this a typical uh, kind of year for in terms of uh, detection of PERS. Uh, in your experience, uh, from, from from all the states that you that you work and all the producers, uh, the experience that you have. Uh, how have been the, 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 your experience with the emergency of, of, of PERS strains? Yeah, so I've been fortunate enough not have to deal with some of the lineage 1C variants to this point on South Farms, but being in Iowa, um, I know it's coming. So it's been good to be able to talk with other vets that have been able to, well, I guess that have unfortunately had to deal with those and, and talk about their experiences. Uh, for me, uh, we have definitely seen it in the wean-to-finish production side of, of the work we do, uh, and, and it's been uh, eye-opening um, with the amount of virus that's replicated in those pigs that become ill with those uh, with those strains. Um, we're not doing many quantitative PCRs, but just based upon CTs, uh, it's been extraordinary the low level of CT values that we've been picking up on, on many of these strains. And, and so certainly, uh, it just tells us there's a lot of virus floating around out there. Um, and just makes it again ever ever greater for us to focus on the wean to finish biosecurity. Mm-hmm. And digging a, a bit further, we are all data kind of driven guys, right? And so thinking about uh, metrics, specific metric metrics you use uh, to make decisions on uh, controlling and eliminating pairs and keeping track of that over time. What what are, what are some? Or can you share some some of the the metrics you have used? Well, um, I think from a from a metric standpoint, uh, to to make decisions on PERS, uh, you know, again, we're certainly looking at the cost and, and and the dollar figures that we're experiencing from from these disease entries, right? Specifically on the South Farm end, mm-hmm. and and we're saying, hey, how how important is this for us to make sure that we get this virus off the farm? And also looking at the rate of breaks that we're seeing in South Farms and making decisions again, is it feasible long term uh, to to keep the virus out of this farm? or what's our best opportunity to make this farm as productive as possible. I, I think the biggest thing that we want to make sure is we've got clear communication amongst the, the folks that are in the barns, the ownership groups uh, or owners of the pigs, and the veterinarians to make sure our expectations are all in line mm-hmm. um, and make sure that, again, we've got a game plan. So oftentimes when we're talking about personal elimination projects or whatnot, uh, we're laying out timelines with specific goals that we want to achieve by then uh, with testing looking at, again, negativity by, by certain time points, um, as also along with the, the tasks that we need to complete, that we feel like we need to complete to get there. And, and we expect to see deviations in these, right? As you guys have, have shown with the uh, family oral fluids and processing, uh, with our timelines can often get skewed uh, when, when we're, from what we're expecting. So we need to be nimble and able to make these changes. But as long as we've got good communication, I find that's the key to success. 
and any of our control programs that we, we put in place. Oh, great. Thanks for, for your comments. So let's move on to the next page, which covers the enteric, the, the, the PCR detection of enteric coronavirus. Giovanni, what were the findings from the previous month? Well, enteric coronavirus is not as busy as PERS. Mm -hmm. The detection is similar in November to what we saw in October. It's expected that we have some increase in detection now during the colder months. We saw a small uptick in Delta coronavirus in coming from growing sites, samples that were identified as coming from this age category. But the very exciting thing that here is that it's not growing up, uh, going up the detection as for PERS. And we are already in November, and during 2021, we tested more than 1,000 samples for TG, and the only three submissions was positive for that agent. So the same things that we talked before for PERS virus that was reminded by the advisory group in terms of by security, by containment, still applies for enteric coronavirus. And on that, Dr. Schneid, I want to, to pick your brain on this. Has the U.S. wine industry moved the needle in terms of by security, by containment? What do you think about that, and what are the lowering fruits that we could tackle to do better in terms of this uh, contained spread of the agents across farms and regions? Yeah, that's a very good question. You know, I think when the emergence of PED happened in, in 13 and 14, uh, we definitely picked up our game in terms of transportation biosecurity and, and on-site biosecurity, even for personnel entry. Mm -hmm. um, I do think sometimes we, we try to put the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae before we've got the banana and the whipped cream on there, though, at times. And I, I think one area we really need to focus on is better training for our, our biosecurity or biosecurity for our wean-to-finish caretakers and, and understanding the importance of what they do. Um, we've got many caretakers that are touring five or six sites in a single day and, and even across different systems, production systems. So, you know, again, they pose a lot of risk to a lot of pigs on a daily basis. Uh, and we need to be thinking about that. How can we make it easier for those folks uh, to, to keep disease out? So whether that's going back to our scheduling and saying, hey, can we streamline this producer's sites, right? Streamline this caretaker's sites to, to keep that biosecurity um, on the same level in terms of pig health. Mm -hmm. I think that, that could go a long way. Um, in terms of making that uh, a difference. And, and again, I think the other part is, is we've talked a lot about market hog transportation, but certainly I think this, we still need to be talking about feeder pig transportation and making sure we're getting those trucks washed. I, I think we notice a lot of our biosecurity breaks happening around, um, around those time points where we're moving pigs from nurseries or overstocks. And are we making sure that those trucks and those truckers are, are following good biosecurity before we load those trucks up and move those pigs out. So I think those are a couple areas I think to continue to focus on and, and, and put our efforts in. And you brought here one very good point that is the training of people. And when you think about biosecurity, that's not only when you are seeing a crisis all year around that you need to continue to remind everybody, training your personals to do that. Great point. Training and communication, right? That talks about too. So one follow-up question on that growth finish uh, site, right? Uh, could you sh share some of your perspectives on what's the general importance of that for the whole ecology of pathogen detection, thinking about of both PERS and the enteric coronaviruses? You mentioned some of the, the, these already, right? But some more picking your thoughts here on what else can the industry do in terms of uh, growth finish more specifically and in regards of keeping those pathogens in the industry? 
Right, right. No, you know, I again, as a software man, I think we do a very good job with diagnosis. Any deviations in health, we're, we're generally having some samples submitted, getting a diagnosis on what's happening. But in, in wean to finish, I think we lack to some extent on that end of it. I, I would venture to guess that for every diagnosis of disease we get in wean to finish, we probably miss at least one. So there's a lot of unspecified health sites out there that can pose a risk because we're just not aware that there's there's a, a health challenge at those sites. Um, the other thing, you know, I, I often think about is uh, as we flow pigs, you know, we're always talking about sending pigs that are, are of, of low health, pigs that are diseased and challenged into high density areas. Uh, because, again, we expect that there's going to be a movement of disease in those areas um, uh, anyways. So. But for me, again, what if we look at it the opposite way? Do we need to start thinking about trying to move high health pigs into high density areas? It seems like we'd make a, a bigger impact in terms of uh, segregating our disease pigs in, in lower density. As we talk about that with, with human disease, right, as we talk about with COVID and flu, don't go to work if you're sick. Well, again, we do that to keep sick people away from healthy people. So, um, you know, do we need to do the same thing to some extent to segregate our diseased animals better than we are today? And just a thought again, I know that that's atypical of probably the way the industry looks at it, but I, I certainly feel like um, it was we talk about recombination of first virus. Well, if we start to put a lot of first positive pigs into a pig dense area, we're really promoting that. So we're promoting mm -hmm. higher diversity and maybe our strains of furs that we see out there um, between that and, and obviously mutations are going to happen as well. But um, I, I think we could start thinking a little bit maybe differently about how we should blow these pigs and where we need to put our disease pigs at to reduce that amount of diversity of viruses we see out there. Maybe need for a comeback of these coordinated structure regional programs, right, to tackle, manage, help manage some of those diseases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great point, something that, yeah, we all should consider. So let's move on to the next page, the, which covers the PCR detection of mycoplasma. Giovanni, what were the findings from the previous month? Well, we know from historical data that the transition months of fall, we have the highest detection of mycoplasma. Mm -hmm. And during October and November, the detection was very similar between those two months. So uh, there is not lots of things going on in mycoplasma, and this is within expected for this time of the year. Yeah, so question for you, Dr. Schneider. By practicing in a couple of different states, you can see the, that the industry... Uh, from 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 different pers perspectives, right? Like you just mentioned, and also there are different approach approaches to tackle uh, mycoplasma uh, detection or eradication or control in, in different uh, regions. Could you share your thoughts and perspective on, on dealing with mycoplasma? Yeah, I, you know, I generally haven't pushed um, much of a, a mycoplasma eradication process with, with many of my clients that feel like they have good mycoplasma stability in their herds. And I think that's key. Um, if, they, if they felt like they had more concerns, then certainly we'd be talking more about that. But most of the clients that I have that are running mycoplasma positive herds are, are doing a good job of, with acclimation of guilt. At a younger age, uh, they're not seeing clinical signs of disease in the south farm end or and specifically not carrying over into the wean to finish flow and affecting that production. Uh, we're not finding mycoplasma as a comorbidity in diagnostics being submitted for influenza or PERS or other respiratory pathogens. And so I think overall they feel pretty comfortable with that process and, and, and where they're at. So don't need to take the, the time and, and money to, to go through an eradication process. 
Now, if we're looking at eradicating a different disease for some reason, um, and it makes sense with the timing and, and, and the program, well, then yeah, certainly that's, that's the conversation piece. But um, again, maybe I'm, I'm the oddball there, I guess, but I, uh, we have not pushed that as a, as a, as a, a large um, piece of our, I guess, our, our practice at this point. Thanks. And now let's uh, cover the last page of the of the SDRS report. Now the page that covers disease detection, disease diagnosis, uh, uh, specifically from the Iowa State uh, VDL. Giovanni, what were the finds of disease of the, the pathogens diagnosed pre on the previous month? Well, there was a uptick of some respiratory and systemic agents at the end of October, and those was mostly PERS, PCV2, mycoplasma pneumonia, glacial parasites. Septococcus, and now in the beginning of November was signals for influenza A disease diagnosis. When we look for the here mirror, there was a lot of pigs that were challenged with viral disease in the last couple of months. So the advisory group said that this is one of the potential reasons for that, where the secondary agents are find an opportunity to express out disease. And on top of that, we have been seeing some changes in temperature with some very drastic swings in terms of the hot, cold days, and that may also be contributing in terms of keeping a good environment for the animals and uh, affecting the respiratory tracts and the open opportunity for these agents. And Dr. Schneider, going back to what you said, uh, for example, uh, not on, on, on PCR det detection, but disease diagnosis, if we also do a good, like a better job on, on diagnosing uh, disease on the growing phase also could be change a little bit of the dynamic of, for example, what we are seeing here in the, in the data, because we don't, we don't, might not have too much like we do in the salt farm, right? Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I, um, again, as you guys pointed out, you know, some of the um, area regional control programs were probably doing a very good job with routine surveillance of, of growing pigs. And I, I think, again, um, it could be something that we look more at. The other thing I see, you know, going forward is the need for, um, maybe inborn testing, right? So we're talking about uh, these uh, quick antigen tests, rapid antigen tests, other um, SNAP tests we see in the small animal world. You know, are these things that we could implement if we had those available in, in our industry and, and um, use those for uh, PERS or PED, um, even if the sensitivity and specificity is a little bit less than what we'd expect with some PCR testing, maybe having that answer uh, more quickly um, eliminates some of the hassle of having samples get sent off and, and maybe let us make um, decisions in terms of uh, caretaker movements and feed truck movements, trucking movements, all these things a little bit quicker as well. So, again, anything we can do to increase the ease of surveillance um, in our wean to finish production, I think, is going to be a, a big game changer for, for us in terms of uh, disease control. And I like what you said, like, if you are sick with COVID, you don't go to work and should maybe start thinking the same thing for the pigs, right, in high-dense regions. That's a great point. Mm -hmm. So as our final question wrap, to wrap up this, this discussion, we usually do this, is also this question for, for our guests. So how do you envision, uh, Dr. Schneider, the, the future of, 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 of diagnostic and surveillance in the swine industry? Yeah, and, you know, again, going back to that, I think, um, you know, we need to continue to make it easier for us to get samples um, and, and get um, answers, right? So again, whether it's the, the in-barred testing, um, you know, again, but you guys have done a wonderful job. The uh, processing fluids, family oral fluids, um, all these, these, you know, ease of ease of sampling techniques that we have today, 
have certainly increased that level um, uh, of, of compliance on the farm end, but also have increased our ability to get good answers um, on more animals. So again, I, I think we've, you guys have moved the needle tremendously and, and everybody there that's, that's been working on those projects has moved the needle tremendously on that end of it. So, um, you know, for everybody in the industry, I'd you know, like to say thank you for that as well. Oh, thank you. Uh, so that was it for, for our discussion. Thanks a lot, Dr. Schneider. It was, was a pleasure to have you here. Uh, and thanks also, Daniel and Giovanni, for joining us. And see you guys next month. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very Thank much. You. Have a good one.